0: Um, We are in a series on neighboring. It is called The Art of Neighboring. Um, And we're working out of this book, also called The Art of Neighboring. Shocking. Um, And if you missed the first couple of weeks, uh, you can go online and listen to those. Uh, They're posted up there. Um, You will have to listen to me. I apologize. I'm filling in for Steve Mitchells while he's gone on his sabbatical. He'll be gone this whole summer. You only get me for four weeks. Sorry. Um, Or maybe congratulations. Um, Right now, um, he is preparing for uh, a month overseas. And he's going to be touring uh, through Africa in uh, South Africa, Tanzania, and they'll be moving up into Europe in Slovenia and Austria uh, come next month. Um, so you can pray for them. Uh, Steve and Pam are visiting the missionaries that we support over there and spending some time in them being refreshed and rejuvenated and actually making some great ministry connections as well. So you get me. I'm Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here at Northview. Um, and the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about neighboring. And today we are talking about uh, a particular aspect of neighboring, and that is joining their drama. Um, in rolling out this series, uh, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. And the question that was posed to Jesus in that story was, who's my neighbor? And the whole premise for our series is that Jesus laid out this plan for neighboring that was broad. And we called that um, uh, kind of an extended version of neighboring. Um, uh, It's the graduate-level neighboring. Um, And for our purposes, we said, okay, what if we bring that in a little bit and make that basic kindergarten-level neighboring? And we said, Okay, everybody's our neighbor, everybody is in, in need is our neighbor, but what if the neighbor that we need to serve and work with is actually our next-door neighbor, right here close to home? And with that, we have these magnets that we've been pushing the last couple of weeks, uh, and on it's a little diagram, and it's a grid uh, with your home at the center, uh, and whatever your neighborhood might look like um, listed around that that center spot that you're in, and we said, what if you actually got to know your neighbors, and um, listed out their names uh, and where they lived on that grid, and what if we went one step further and learned some things about our neighbors that we could also list underneath th- those names, and what if we went further than that and um, we're able to find out some deeper stuff, what are their hopes and dreams, uh, what drives our neighbors? That was our challenge. I'll pose it again at the end today. Um, but really we're talking about interacting with our neighbors to bring them from stranger level interaction through acquaintance level and on to relationship. So that's where we jump in today is joining them in their drama. I remember one particular night uh, when I was growing up in Squim over on the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, My family lived up in the foothills of the Olympics, kind of on the backside. We were in a heavily wooded area, uh, really rural, and um, it wasn't very heavily populated. But we did have neighbors. We had people at at the property above us and below us and next to us. And one particular night, um, we had just gone to bed. Uh, Our bedtime was nine, so it was a little bit later, and um, there was a loud knock at the door and my parents answered the door and I could hear from my room um, loud voices weeping um, and uh, as curious kids we wanted to know something really bad going on and so we crept out and uh, our next door neighbor uh, the woman uh, had come to the door and was in a frantic state um, she was crying she was obviously in deep emotional distress uh, but she had red marks on her face as well and um, through through understanding what was going on with her, um, it turned out that she had been um, hit by her husband in an, in an altercation and had come across over to us just to seek help. Uh, my parents were, were EMTs and paramedics and had been part of the fire department for a long time. So they took care of her physical needs, um, but then they called, helped, helped her call the authorities and her husband spent that night in jail. And it revealed something to me that um, has, has really stuck with me in a major way and impacted my relationships with our neighbors since then, that being a neighbor can be really messy and really difficult. That it's not always the, hey, how are you, over the fence, good to see you, like what you're doing with your, your lawn, um, that that sometimes it's, it's deeper and scarier than that. Add to the drama there, um, around that time, uh, my dad... Um, didn 't he 'd lost his job and was looking for work the only this was at a, at a tough time in the economy. The only place he could find a work was for the business that my neighbors owned and so he worked for this couple in a very volatile situation, and it just compounded that um, that drama so this is where i 'd like to jump into to scripture a little bit, um, having prefaced this joining their drama and what that looks like. And I'm sure you have a lot of examples in your own mind um, of some of those dramatic moments in neighboring. But I'd like you to uh, join with me in turning to Luke 5, 527-31. And it's up on screen if you don't have it with you. And we'll read through this, this account. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" Jesus, asked. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I know we've prayed for the offering, but uh, would you join me in prayer as we dig into this a little bit? Father, uh, as we dig in, I pray that you would use me um, today as the occasion to speak truth and life into our body this morning. May, not <clears throat> may I not be a hindrance to you or your work, but uh, just help me to cooperate with you in communicating to hearts open to you and um, your leadership this morning. Uh, Lord, we um, praise you for what we're about to walk through and uh, ask for your help in how we engage with it. Thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. So let me uh, kind of clarify the story and maybe give you a little context. Um, to this particular story. We're talking about uh, a tax collector um, sitting in a tax collection booth on the side of the road. Now, the Romans, they had a pretty well-defined taxation plan in the provinces that they governed. The Roman Empire at that time was huge. And rather than deal with all the, the infrastructure necessary and the hassle of collecting taxes from all the provinces where they were, They privatized it. They had investors that would purchase the taxation rights for each region. It's an ingenious idea because the Roman government would get their money, they'd set the price for that region up front. They'd get their money up front, and they didn't have to hassle with collections. Instead, these private investors were able to command some of the resources of the Romans, the army and the, the guards and things, to enforce their taxation laws, but they went in as investors and they wanted to recoup their money. And so they set up a system where not only would they recoup the fees that uh, they had to pay to the Roman government, but they wanted to make something as a return on their investment. And in doing so, they set up a system that was just ripe for abuses. They actually encouraged abuses because the more money they would bring in, the more profit that they had at the end of the day. So, they set up a system where they were using locals that spoke the languages, that could communicate well, that understood uh, the people in those regions, and they encouraged certain abuses to gain to, to bring in more money. Um, they would tax goods and services on these on the roads and, and ports and pathways. Um, they, they encouraged taxation for simple things like the number of axles on your cart. Um, you could go and for the number of wheels on their cart. How many pack animals uh, they were bringing. Um, how many pedestrians they had with them. What kind of roads they were going to be traveling on. Whether there was bridges. Uh, oftentimes they were encouraged to get these, these caravans uh, at the port cities, which this particular place was happening near, near uh, Capernaum, they would have people unload all of their baggage so that it could be inspected and would tax them based on what they were bringing in. And the tax collectors were even encouraged to um, gouge them a little bit by, by um, accusing them of smuggling occasionally and basically blackmailing them into paying them off so that they could pass. Horrible system. And uh, the Jewish nation... Um, rightly so, they, they saw the, the Roman government as oppressors, as occupiers of a land that they had built up. They had built these roads, they had built these towns, and now they had to pay for the right to travel on them, and worse than anything is they're using these tax collectors that were their own people, and their own people turned against them in trying to gouge them for more and more money. Uh, It was a terrible system, and and the Jewish people saw tax collectors as the lowest of the low. They weren't allowed to be witnesses uh, in court cases. They were certainly not allowed to to judge cases, and they weren't even allowed to attend synagogue. They were seen as outside of God's grace. Reminds me a little bit of the Samaritan we talked about uh, two weeks ago. Now these, these custom house officers, these tax gatherers, these guys were educated men uh, they, they weren 't picked because they were dumb. So this is the scene we, we come in on here is Levi is at a tax booth along the side of the road, and, and Jesus probably has had some dealings with them before, um, and at this point in the story he 's probably being asked to pay a toll or a tax on the roads that they're traveling. And that's where we come in um, on this situation. So Jesus interacted with Levi in the course of his planned events and duties. He had a place to get to. Um, But I wanted to to talk a little bit about what he did in his interaction with with Levi. You see, um, consistent with some of the things we've talked about in Neighboring, Jesus joined Levi on his turf. Levi was in his booth where it was comfortable, and Jesus came there to talk to him. Didn't wait for him to to catch him on his way home. Didn't call him out and send a message to come to where Jesus was. He joined Levi where he was. And it's not recorded that he gave any great sermon or rules to Levi in calling him out. Um, I think in the Bible, um, what's recorded is the most important and pertinent information. And all that's recorded in his words to Levi is, follow me. And then at that point, he doesn't just invite he doesn't invite Levi into his house or his home. He doesn't bring him over to the camp where they're staying or say, hey, walk with me. He joins Levi at a party that he's throwing. And even crazier is Levi's party is not the kind of people that a religious leader would normally hang around. It's all the undesirables and outcasts. These are other tax collectors and sinners. And we see that in the Pharisees' complaint. There is, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, no, knowing the context of this and what what that tax collector Means and what he's doing, um, I guess the question I think is, what kind of baggage does a tax collector have? What what, what brings you into a, a, a career like that? You know, when I, Dad, when I, when I grew up, I want to be a tax collector and have everybody hate me and despise me. No. Um, I think a tax collector's issues may be a greater desire for themselves than for others. Um, When they say sinners, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners in quotes? That word sinners, they used a lot in the Bible to signify a certain type of behaviors and and person. And it included people like adulterers and robbers. These are the worst of the worst. These are the scum of the earth. The people you don't want to associate with at this party. And as I'm thinking about this ta- these tax collectors trying to come up with a modern equivalent to what they might be in our, in our understanding. And the best I could come up with, and it's not perfect, would be a drug dealer. Right? These are people that they don't care about the damage that they're doing to their, their culture, their neighbors, their friends and family. They'd sell out their own mother for their own gain. And they're doing significant damage to those around them. So Jesus is asked, um, why are you eating and drinking with these people? Why would you you make yourself unclean by even meeting with them? And Jesus explains the reasons for uh, the relationship that he has. And he equates eating and drinking, um, which in my opinion is shared experience, right? He's sitting down with them. He's he's sharing life. Um, I would equate that with relationship. Um, And he says eating and drinking, that shared experience, that relationship, it leads to doctoring and calling to repentance. So the time he's spending with these guys is making them healthy and calling them towards God. But as I'm looking at this, um, this story the question that's posed there and the answer that Jesus gives is kind of challenging to me. And and I I started to wonder, his answer doesn't specifically call out the tax collectors and sinners. He doesn't say, um, it's not the healthy, it's these tax collectors that I'm here for. He doesn't say that. He says it in in general terms, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I start to wonder Is he actually talking about the tax collectors and sinners that he came for? Or is he really talking about the Pharisees that are bringing this to him? He's already with the tax collectors and sinners. And the lesson here in his interactions that's recorded is specifically with these teachers of the law and the people that are challenged by this. I would think that he wants repentance from the tax collectors and sinners, certainly. But I also think he's seeking repentance from the people who are challenged the most by this uh, in the religious leaders. All right, pause right there. Before we go any further, um, I want to clarify some of the terminology that I've been throwing out a little bit. So what is relationship really? How do we know when we're in relationship with our neighbor. So we, I, I keep throwing out this term relationship. What do we mean by relationship? Um, the actual definite definition of relationship is being related. It's a connection or a binding between two participants, a kinship. Um, and along with that comes a heartfelt attachment. My, my definition, just in, in understanding what the, the, the different definitions that I've read are, I, I'd say relationship is a mutual personal investment with one another, right? We're invested in each other. So then, how do we choose who we're in relationship with? I know me, and I've seen this happen, and this isn't true of everybody, but I think typically uh, we invest in relationships with people that are like us or that make us feel good about ourselves. I think this is true in family. I think this is true in marriage. And I think this is true in relationships with our neighbors. We tend to go, t- gravitate towards people that make me feel good. And in doing so, I think we can isolate ourselves and become safe. And we can become exclusive in who we spend time with and who we're living life with. On the flip side of that, um, looking at it a little bit different way, um, people's unsavory background or their behavior problems, um, their their sin, um, is a deterrent relationship, uh, deterrent to relationship because it's uncomfortable. And it, having a relationship with somebody that that we ha- can't identify with, um, that's very different from us, doesn't really please me. Um, and, and that sin can be, what, what, I guess what we classify as sin and those uh, those behaviors that we look down on, they're a deterrent rel- to relationship because we don't want to be guilty by association. Um, and that's... that's where the Pharisees are coming from in this story. I think the result of that is a lack of growth if all we ever do is try and please ourselves in our relationships. So going back to Jesus' explanation of his his intentions and what, what his intent was in feasting with these undesirables, um, I'm, un, I'm left unsure of who the sick in need of doctoring really are. So to me, that brings up another question. For us, what if building relationship with your neighbor wasn't for them, but was for you? Um, I really do believe that while well, God desires your neighbor to turn to him, in that relationship that you're building he's also working on your heart if you build a relationship with your neighbor they're going to find something out about you you're a sinner too we call, it, we call, we call them the sinners uh, I mentioned to you my neighbors that uh, sit out on their back deck that overlooks our driveway in our backyard um, smoking pot and drinking Good old times. And it's easy for me to say, I don't want to be anywhere near that. That's not the kind of lifestyle I want to live, and I don't want my kids to have any association with that. But in doing so, I'm not necessarily focused on me and the fact that my sin is no better than theirs, that I carry a whole lot of baggage myself. We're sick with sin too. Um, we talked about the commandments that that uh, Jesus had, the expert in the law and the story of the Samaritan, um, list out the most important commandments. And he said, uh, the first was love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other was love your neighbor as yourself. And my my challenge at the time was, you know, if... If we just boil that down, as Scripture says, and that the whole law is summed up in just love your neighbor as yourself, uh, because if you can do that, you've got the, the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've got, got to have that down. Um, the, I mean, it really, it boils down to, in order to neighbor well, we have to have communion with Jesus first. And my, I guess my, uh, my challenge is that you'll only be effective with your neighbors to the extent that you're tracking with God's heart. Let me give you a little visual example here. I've got a couple of stones up here. Um, and this stone is, well, if it was real, a real stone... It would have rough cut edges. It would be lumpy. This one's cast, sorry. It's, it's got all kinds of different facets to it. It's got sharp edges and irregularities to it. Um, but as it comes into contact with other stones, um, it, it begins to have some friction and those rough edges and those sharp angles get worn off. And the closer that the friction, be, or the, the more intense the friction becomes, the closer they get together and the more that they start to link up to each other and have greater points of connection with each other. And, and interestingly, if you were to hold them straight up and down, one can support another. But as you turn it sideways, actually the friction between them, those greater points of connection, keep them from separating it kind of binds the pieces together in some ways, that that friction between them. Um, And kind of that mutual support um, that friction causes, um, it supports against forces pressing upon it and any attempt to move or destroy it. And that relationship is clearly seen in what happens when you make a Roman arch one of the greatest architectural marvels ever, uh, that in spite of time and gravity and erosion, things from that era are still standing. Those arches are so strong. What was an irregular, irregular, sharp, and lumpy block fits together in a way that supports the whole tremendously. Let me look at this another way. Um, In a book that I just was reading called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, the authors say this. We often think that if God really cared for us, he'd make our relationships easier. In reality, a difficult relationship is a mark of his love and care. We would prefer that God would just change the relationship. But he won't be content until the relationship changes us too. This is how God created relationships to function. What happens in the messiness of relationships is that our hearts are revealed, our weaknesses are exposed, and we start coming to the end of ourselves. Only when this happens do we reach out for the hope God alone can provide. Weak and needy people finding their hope in Christ's grace are what make a mature relationship. The most dangerous aspect of your relationships is not your weakness, but your delusions of strength. So that, that object lesson with the blocks put into our terms. Um, when you have friction with another person, a neighbor, it can be grating, it can be grinding, and it can wear you down. But doing it as an act of worship to the Lord ultimately reinforces and strengthens you and them. Of our own control, we tend to look to mold people into our image. In my interactions with my neighbor, I want them to be more like me because I've got it right. If if we're in God's accord, we tend to encourage them to be moldable by the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't always look like I planned. So again, I, I'm sure you have plenty of examples of your own of this kind of dynamic um, with your neighbors. And, and I've actually heard a few from you this week in how you've been challenged and, and seen opportunities arise to build relationships with your neighbors and join that drama. But just to put it in... Um, I guess, practical terms of things that I have seen. I want to share with you a real life situation that I've been through with a neighbor. And this is not to say that I've got it right because I don't, but this is, this is what happened. And many of you know who I'm talking about here, but um, uh, not long after we moved into our home years and years ago, uh, a couple moved in next door. And he's a uh, very relational person. He is very outgoing. I am not. I would stay in my living room and not talk to my neighbors if I could. Fortunately, he caught me and we started to spend time together in small ways, just talking over the fence. Um, And I learned more about him. Uh, He was living there with his girlfriend and um, he liked motorcycles a lot and was enthusiastic about everything, loved stuff. And... um, I learned that, um, even after the fact, I've learned that during that whole time, he was really struggling with some things from his past and had a pretty serious drug and alcohol uh, problem. Um, But I'm a people pleaser, and um, he would ask for help in different ways, and and when he would travel and go do stuff with his girlfriend, um, they had a dog, they had an Akita, and it was a big dog a big dog, a very protective dog. And so we spent some time with them just getting to know the dog and we would kind of um, help take care of the dog when they were gone. And um, so we got socialized with the dog. He, he knew us and we would go over and take care of it um, and had for a, a number of years. Um, they were on a trip to Mexico and um, they were coming back on a Sunday and uh, my wife had been going over there, uh, particularly on the days that I worked to feed the dog and let the dog run a little bit. And, uh, I was here on Sunday morning and I got a call from my son Caden and he was upset and quick in what he said. He said, mom got bit by a dog and she's bleeding bad. I need you to come home. Holy cow. That's freaky. I ran home and, um, just in the course of events, uh, Freak, crazy thing. Um, She was walking up the steps in front of the dog. Um, I'm sorry, the dog was walking up the steps in front of her. And as she got to the top rail, he latched onto her arm and bit hard. And when we got to the doctor, um, he would punctured all the way through her arm with his teeth. Um, As they were irrigating the top, you could see the water coming out the holes in the bottom. Um, There was some drama there. Um, that relationship was difficult at that point. Um, it was more difficult than it had been before in trying to relate to somebody that's in a completely different aspect of life from, from me. And at the, t- the same time, all of this stuff had been happening and getting to know my neighbor, um, again, it wasn't because I was good um, and desired to get to know him and, and share Christ with him. Um, I was growing in the same ways myself just in in opening up my heart to the responsibilities that God had for me and coming on at a church and then coming on into ministry and um, actually serving him in the capacity that he asked me to do. And as I grew in that capacity, he built in um, some of those pieces that served me better in neighboring. Um, As I cooperated with the Holy Spirit, he grew me in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, There was a real cost to being bit by a dog. Um, My wife is still skittish around dogs, and it's been years now. Um, There was a a financial cost to the doctor bills and things. And um, again, not to tout myself, but in trying to live out the truth that we believed, we forgave those expenses and said, don't worry about it. That could have been very different. We could have been legalistic and said, you need to pay. So I I learned in my own walk to speak truth. I learned to live consistently by that truth, not to please my neighbor, but to please God. And as some of you know, Anthony, um, he called me up about a year and a half ago And um, he had been married and went through a very, very difficult and dark time of his life and didn't know what to do. I happened to be in his phone still from seven years before. And he didn't know who else to turn to. And um, he called up the first Shannon on his phone that he could find. It happened to be a girl that he knew. The second time he called Shannon in his phone, he got me. And he just said, I don't know how to pray. Is it, Can I go to church? What do I do? Um, fast forward to April of this last year, uh, he gave his life to Christ. And actually, one year ago tomorrow, uh, he was baptized right here in front of this body. Now, I wasn't the cause of that and not at all. Other people led him to Christ. Other people shared truth with him. Um, But I was the opportunity at that point. And that's not the end of it. He got saved. He got baptized. Life is still messy. He still struggles with stuff. Um, I think sometimes it's important to put the right things on display from our church. And I, I hope you've caught this in everything that I've said. As leadership, we're not perfect. I can't stand here and say, look, we've done everything right, so you should too. I try things the hard way first. Um, and I'm encouraging you not to do that. Um, but, but life is messy. And, and I, I, I want you to understand that, that it's hard even on a church staff on a daily basis. Um, This past Easter, um, Anthony and John worked on a great Easter set right here up front. And in that process, relationship broke down, and it got hard, and it got ugly. And we take what we preach seriously. And so we got together just this past week and reconciled. Um, And John and Anthony worked through that and jumped back into relationship together. Um, Again, I don't say that because, hey, we're so great, but that mess doesn't go away. We're all sinners, and we still have to keep struggling through that. I'm going to call the worship team up as I begin to close here. And as I wrap up, I want to... Continue this challenge with you, the magnet challenge. If you haven't received one of these yet, grab one at the back door on your way out. There's a table back there with these on it. I keep pushing this because this is really the helpful reminder and the first step in this process is, who is my neighbor? Write down on this magnet, kept on your fridge or somewhere that you go every day, your neighbor's names. When you see the blank there and it's empty and white, I'm hoping that God will prompt you to say, you know what? Cooperate with me as I bring opportunities to you. Learn your neighbor's name. Find out facts about them. Dig a little deeper when the opportunity arises to engage with them on that deeper level and find out their hopes and dreams. Part two of my challenge to you as we close is that we want to encourage you to have a block party. Just like Jesus got together with Levi, have a block party. Get together with your neighbors and start this process of joining their drama and getting to know them and living life, not just for them, but for you too. If there's something that exists right now in your neighborhood, join it. If there isn't, start something new. But I think that that shared experience that you have in living life with somebody else, in eating and drinking together, is important. I think that's the beginning of fulfilling God's command to love your neighbor as yourself. We'll roll that out a little bit a uh, little bit more specifically next week. Uh, but I do want to mention to you, if you have those kind of things going on, take a picture of what's going on. And we've got a... Uh, John Hayes helped us set this up. Uh, if you're on social media, we've got a, a Twitter hashtag. It's hashtag Art of Neighboring and View. And we'd love to have you post it there and you can go yourself and see some of the other great interactions that are going on with our body. So I would just say this in closing. Um, if you do jump into that, if you do take that seriously and join us in those challenges, um, be prepared to have your space invaded so God can work on your heart, not just on theirs. Would you pray with me as I close? Father, I'm challenged by the need to reach out um, to my actual neighbor. In spite of seeing you work in the past, I still find it difficult to join others on their turf um, with just their drama and their messes and to do that with your heart of love in doing it. Lord, please, please help us all to, to have our, our, our neighboring uh, overflow from um, the love that we have for you. Lord, we know you're at work. We know you're doing stuff. Um, we know you're going before us to prepare hearts. Um, and Lord, we just ask that you would prepare ours as well. Thank you for your model of love, for reaching us while we were still sinners. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.